Welcome to the Schwartz on Sports podcast, hosted by Noah Schwartz. Hey everybody, welcome back. Uh, Schwartz on Sports here, episode number 10, presented by the Belly Up Podcast Network. Uh, Can't believe I'm on my 10th episode of the show already. Crazy to think that I've already done now 10 of these. Um, Thank you to Belly Up for the opportunity. And uh, I just want to welcome quickly before I begin with the show today, uh, my new my new partner in the show, his name is Owen. Uh, I'm going to have him on the show at some point in the next couple weeks, probably. He's going to be doing a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, so social media and some graphics. He'll help me with that. Uh, so he'll be a huge, integral part of what I am doing over the course of the next few months here with the show. So let's kick this right off. Uh, a big weekend in sports, um, and there's a lot going on today. today. I'm recording this on Sunday, so... We've got a full slate of NFL games today, including maybe the game of the year um, with the Chiefs and the Saints later at 4 o'clock. Uh, we got yesterday the championship games in all the conferences in college football. So we'll have the decision on who the four teams will be in about an, an hour or two. Uh, we'll probably have, in some order, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Ohio State. If it was up to me, I'd put Bama first, then Clemson. Uh, then I'd probably have Notre, uh, Ohio State and then Notre Dame fourth, but we'll see what the committee uh, ultimately decides to do. So big, crazy weekend in sports, a lot that was going on. And for me, I'm really excited today on this Sunday because we're two days away from the start of the NBA season. And we saw the preseason games. They all finished up yesterday. Uh, it's been a fun preseason. A lot of highlights that I've watched on either TV or saw on social media. I watched some of the games from start to finish. A lot of stars didn't play very much, but it was still interesting to see those guys back on the floor and see a lot of young players that maybe didn't get a chance to contribute uh, over the course of maybe last season or uh, in previous years. They got a chance in the preseason, and you know we'll see if they're able to kind of have a breakout year and establish themselves at the NBA level. So I'm going to do a full NBA show today, my NBA 2021 season preview. Uh, we'll do standing predictions. We will do... Award predictions, I'll make my finals uh, prediction at the end of the show, so that'll be cool. Um, So when I look at the 2021 NBA season, and it's going to be a season unlike any we've seen in the history of the league, that's really where my first thought goes when I'm I'm thinking about where we're going to be with this NBA season. There's going to be COVID, of course, we're going to have COVID cases. Um, I assume that multiple players throughout the course of these next few months while the regular season goes on will get COVID. I mean, the vaccine is not here yet for many of us. So I assume there'll be breakouts on teams. I assume there'll be cancellations. I assume there'll be issues with players unable to play because of close contacts. It's sort of like what we've seen in the NFL. And it has not gone particularly smoothly for the NFL, but it's something they've had to deal with and they've really made it work. And I think that's probably what we'll see in the NBA. I know those players, especially the ones who were in the bubble, at least understand how to protect themselves and and keep away from others while they're dealing with the pandemic. I don't think the NFL players had quite the same experience because they hadn't played uh, under those rules previously, but the NBA players, most of them have. So that's at least a positive. It's going to be a very strange season with mostly no fans in these arenas. I did see yesterday a list of about uh, maybe six or seven arenas that are going to have fans. I saw Cleveland was on there. I think Miami, uh, the Raptors, they're playing in Tampa Bay. They'll have some fans. So a few teams here and there. But for the most part, we will have fully empty arenas this season. 
Uh, so that's going to be really strange. Another part of this season that I think most people haven't necessarily considered is for a lot of the deep playoff run teams last year, they didn't have much of an offseason. So I know everyone's kind of anointing the Lakers and maybe the Clippers and a couple of the teams as the top-level basketball teams that we'll watch this year. They're going to be in a tough spot, especially early in the season, to get their players proper rest. I mean, if you look at the Lakers and Heat, the teams that were in the finals last year, what they had to go through, they played their first preseason game. It was like 60 days after game six of the finals. So not a long time for those players to get their energy back, rehab in the offseason, overcome whatever ailments and injuries they were dealing with at the end of the bubble. It, is not a long, it was not a long offseason. And I assume now that they'll probably have to load manage those players quite a bit, especially the star players. I don't think we'll see LeBron all the time. I don't think we'll see Anthony Davis all the time. Jimmy Butler, probably the same thing. So if you think about it from that perspective, we may see some different teams win more games this year just because some of the teams that may have the most talent just aren't going to throw out the uh, their players the same number of games as they typically would in a regular season. 72 games, too, so it's short on that end part of it also. Um, I also, when I was thinking about this season earlier, I think one of the first things that comes to mind also would be how much young talent is in our sport and the age gap between some of our stars and some of our young players. It's crazy. If you think about who some of the best players in the world are still today, LeBron's going to be 36 in a couple weeks. Chris Paul's 35. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, who still plays a big role on that Blazer team in Portland, he's 35 or 36. There are a lot of veterans. Kevin Durant may think of him as a younger player. He's 32. Steph Curry's in his 30s. Russell Westbrook, James Harden, they're in their 30s. And then you think about what some of the younger players and how young they are. I mean, what is Luka, 20? Giannis is, I think, 26. Crazy, the, the age gap and, and how much talent there is, both at the top of the league in terms of age and closer to the bottom. We'll see what happens with this rookie class. Maybe a couple stars will come out of there too, and then you can throw those players into the into the talent pool. Donovan Mitchell, how old is he? 24, 25, something like that? I mean, there are just so many great young players across the league this season. And I think the talent base is only growing. We're now getting players from more countries than we ever have, from more continents than we ever have. Uh, scouting is more difficult than it's ever been just because of the sheer amount of places you need to look to find these players. I mean, think about, and Giannis is, the best, is a great example. I mean, just signed the big extension, one of the best top three, four players in the world. Think about how hard it was for the Milwaukee Bucks to find him. Some random kid playing in Greece somewhere, and you've got to scout him and invest a large part of your future into him as the 15th overall pick. Not easy to do, but something the Bucks must have went and seen him and said, hey, this kid's special at nearly seven feet tall, and he's got some um, unique talents. And they took him, and obviously he's developed into this MVP player that we've, that we've seen, but... Not necessarily easy to find guys like that. How, how hard was it to find Luka? Probably easier because he was playing professionally and he was a big star in Europe. But some of these guys, much harder. How about the kids that, that are in Africa? I mean, there are kids that, that get drafted from Africa each and every year now. They're not easy to find. They're playing in some small country somewhere in some tiny little gym and probably nobody knows who they are. It's just it, it, finding the talent now, is, it's harder than it's ever been, but you can also be rewarded for it in a way you could you could never have been. Just because if you're looking across the world for someone, you may find something special in the place you least expect it. So I think it is really cool how we have so many stars now 
who are in their 30s. I mean, just thinking about it. DeMar DeRozan, Westbrook, Durant, James. I mean, there are so many. Kawhi Leonard's nearly 30 now. And then you think about the guys who are 18, 19, 20, 21. I mean, Trey Young. I think about how young he is. There are so many great young players in the game today. Simmons and Embiid. It's just, it goes on and on and on on that list. So uh, I also think about how many star duos there's going to be this season and how many teams are going to be heavily reliant on one or two players to provide so much of the production for, for their specific team. James and Davis for the Lakers, George and, and Leonard for the Clippers, uh, Murray and Jokic for Denver. I mean, there are so many great duos across the league. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant will be in the spotlight all year. Giannis and Chris Middleton, they'll be in the spotlight. There are so many great duos. And, you know, we've, we've seen eras in the past, or, or teams in the past, I should say, where there's been big threes or even big fours. Uh, they get the Celtics with Rondo and Pierce and Allen Garnett. James Wade and, and, and Bosch with Miami, um, the, the recent Golden State Big Four with Kevin Durant there. There have been so many trios and now even teams that have four stars. But I think in, in, in the last couple of years we've seen it's hard to get three stars on your payroll. It's just not really feasible to get specific role players that you may want around those guys. So teams are really going at it with two stars typically. There's very few teams out there that have three stars. We'll see what happens with James Harden. Maybe he creates a big three somewhere. But um, not easy to do. And I think the duo thing has really changed the way coaches are running their rotations. I mean, that's one thing that I've definitely noticed. You definitely want to have one of your stars on the court as much as possible. We've seen how teams have sort of changed up the way that the minutes are are given out um, just to make sure that one of those two all-star players is on the floor at all times. And so I think that's really cool. I, I like how the talent uh, the talent differential between the, the top team and the other uh, playoff teams in that mix, there's not that much of a difference because outside of the stars, it's just a bunch of role players. And so you know whoever has the top-level stars are typically the ones that are going to win. But I like how one team doesn't have many more stars than any other teams. I think that's cool. Uh, I, I don't want to see you know four or five all-stars in the same spot. I think it's cool how they're all sort of spread out across the league in, in groups of two. Uh, I also think it's a big part of the season, uh, how teams manage injuries. Um, you know, there are guys out now, Clay Thompson is the first one that comes to mind, who won't be there all season, but there are still a lot of stars and, and, and key players who are coming off injury, and it's like, how do you manage that? Like Kevin Durant's the first one that, that would definitely uh, stand out. Coming off an, a major injury, an Achilles tear, Kyrie Irving, his teammate, coming off his uh, major shoulder, shoulder injury. How, how, does, how do those injuries get managed? And I think it's, it's difficult for coaches because you want to have players rested and you want to have your guys as fresh as possible from when you get to the biggest games. But I think as we saw with the Clippers last year, it's hard to just take off the regular season. I mean, the Clippers clearly did not care too much about the first 82 games and just tried to save it all for when they were in the playoffs and they just couldn't overcome uh, the lack of chemistry and the lack of games that some of their key guys had played together. Uh, led to them losing in the in the conference semifinals. I think coaches now need to realize that you can't take that pro- approach necessarily. You may need to stretch your guys out a little bit and just be a little more careful with when you practice, your shoot-arounds, how much uh, physical activity you're putting these guys through just so that they are fresh when the games really do matter. But you want to make sure that you're playing your best basketball and that you're fully um, – you have full chemistry within your within your team once you get to those big games. It's it's hard when you're just trying to still build 
up a relationship with your teammates as you're playing in the playoffs. You want to have that already set once you get there. Uh, and it's just it's, it's definitely a new balance that I think coaches have to continually look at to see how they want to manage it within their specific rosters. Uh, and I think the, the, the biggest question mark going into the season, this is the final point I'll make, has to be has to be this. When was the last time we saw a player on the trade block who was going to get traded like James Harden in the middle of a season? I can't remember the last time a guy of James Harden's caliber got traded in a se- during the during the course of a season. Of course, off-season trades happen all the time. Westbrook happened last year. Like there are a lot. Uh, Kawhi Leonard was traded in a recent off-season. But when was a t- when was the last time that we saw someone like James Harden, an MVP ca- uh, candidate every single year, a former MVP, a three-time scoring champion, all the things that James Harden is, and a yearly All-Star, one of the top five or six players in the in the league. When was the last time he was traded mid-season? So. It's hard to really make a prediction on who I think is going to win the championship, who I think is going to win each conference now. It's hard to know because there's this massive domino. Um, We don't know where that dice is going to land. We don't know if he's going to be in Miami. We don't know if he's going to be with the Nets. We don't know if he's going to stay in Houston. Maybe he'll be uh, with, with Dallas or Boston. Like There are a lot of different places that he could potentially land, Philadelphia. And we just don't have any idea of where that will actually where will actually go. And so if I'm trying to make a prediction on who's going to win the championship, James Harden is a massive uh, part of that. I mean, he's going to be on a contender, and he's going to be arguably the best player on a contender. So we need to see where he ends up going. I haven't, I don't remember a time that there was this type of a player traded in the middle of a season, but it's hard to really know what teams are going to exactly look like if they're still in the mix for trading for James. We'll see. Um, so that's really how my, my quick look at the season how I view what the 2021 season is going to be through my lens. Um, And so when I was thinking about it, I wanted to put some specific predictions on there, uh, on here. So I'm going to go through my top 10 teams, or I should say 11 teams in each conference. Uh, The top 10 teams will be the the teams that technically make the playoffs. I mean, there's that play-in tournament with the 7, 8, 9, and 10 seeds. So I'm going to give 10 teams and say those teams will make it. And then I'll give my next up, the team that I think is – the closest to being in that spot, but didn't actually get there. So let's start with the Eastern Conference. Um, and I'm going to start with the, with the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, I think the Bucks will definitely play it safer in the regular season than they did each of the last two years. Two-time defending regular season champ in the NBA, had the best record each of the last two years. But then they flamed out in the playoffs this year to Miami, previously to Toronto. Uh, so I, I do think they'll probably take it a little bit easier. I don't think Giannis will play as many minutes, probably not play every single night the way he has been. He'll probably get some time off. Uh, I want to see how they incorporate Drew Holiday. That may take a little while. They have Chris Middleton still. And I think they have some young role players that definitely need to make the jump, specifically Dante DiVincenzo, Pat Connaughton as well. How do you sort of get those guys the proper minutes and allow them to sort of flourish within their roles? And then they need to build a bench. They did make some offseason acquisitions. DJ Augustine, Bobby Portis, Bryn Forbes, guys like that. Can you get them acclimated? Can you get them sort of working in uh, in tandem together on that bench? We'll have to see how that all plays out. But I would still slightly pick them as the number one seed in the East this year just because they have Giannis, and he's going to score a ton of points, and he's going to be great defensively. They'll probably be the number one seed, but I'm a little more skeptical on that than I was in previous years. Number two for me is the Nets. Uh, Brooklyn, I think they'll, similar to similar to Milwaukee, I think they'll manage their way through the regular season very carefully. I assume that Kevin and Kyrie will miss multiple games due to load management, whether it's uh, during back-to-backs or, you know, you know, whenever they decide to make those moves. I think Steve Nash this year has a lot to deal with as a head coach. 
in terms of dealing with these two personalities. It is not easy to coach stars, especially when you're brand new into the role. Uh, definitely not going to be an easy thing for him. But at the end of the day, regardless of the injuries that this team has, has had to deal with or whatever, they are uniquely talented. Kyrie and KD are two of the most gifted players in league history, and they've got some nice talent around them. Dinwiddie and Levert come to mind first. Uh, they've got some nice big men, including Jared Allen, who I really like, Joe Harris as well. So they're going to have to manage their way through the season, but I think ultimately they will win enough games just because they're so damn talented that they'll be in the number two seed and have a real shot to go to the finals. If they get Harden, uh, this prediction changes, they'll be my one seed, but for now we don't know that. Uh, number three for me is Miami. I don't think they have quite the talent of some of the other teams in the East. Uh, that's why everyone didn't pick them to make the finals last year. They were a total underdog. They got there. But I think this year they make a leap into the top three of the conference standings. Jimmy Butler's going to put up huge numbers. He always does. Bam's going to put up big numbers. He has been uh, since last year. And I think they're going to get significant improvements from their young players. We saw just how great Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero specifically can be in big moments. And what they went through last year in leading that team and being among the three, four best players on it that went to the finals, you're going to learn a lot from that experience. And playing in big games like they did is only going to help them in their development. Uh, so I think they'll be in the top three of the conference this year. They don't have to really load manage their way through the season. They don't have to be too worried about their young players. Those guys can handle it. I know they played a lot of games last year, but they can handle it. They're young, fresh legs. So I think the Heat will win a lot of games, and Eric Spolstra is a genius. So just let him do his magic, and this team will win. The fourth seed for me is Philadelphia. They are a total question mark uh, in terms of their pursuit or possible pursuit of Harden. We'll see. Again, that, that, that plays a factor in a lot of these teams. But if they do decide to trade... Uh, ben Simmons, I would put them as the number one uh, number one team in the conference, personally. Uh, I love James Harden and Joel Embiid together. I think that is a pairing made in heaven. We'll see if it works out, if it happens, but I would love to see it. I don't think Simmons and Embiid works to the same degree that Harden and Embiid would, so pairing them together would be a very cool thing for the Sixers and for the league in general. I'd love to see it happen. Uh, if they don't make that happen, they still have a ton of talent. Tobias Harris, Embiid... They brought Seth Curry in. That's a nice move for them as an extra shooter. Danny Green's as an extra shooter. And they have some really intriguing young players, too. I love the pick of Tyrese Maxey in the first round. Matisse Thibel's very good. Shake Milton's very good. They will be a true contender in the East, regardless of what moves they make or maybe they don't make. Uh, and Doc Rivers just has to figure out how to get Simmons and Embiid to coexist early. And if they can figure it out and uh, it works, they'll keep it up with this duo and they will play through the season with them. The number five seed to me is Boston. They drop from where they were last year. They were the third seed, got all the way to the conference finals. And I still like the team, that team, but I don't think they're going to be quite what they were last year. And I think the biggest reason for that is they have a huge issue with their depth. They don't have many NBA caliber rotation players at this point. And, and they don't even have Kemba Walker right now as he heads into the season with a knee injury. So Jeff Teague is going to be the starter at point guard. Tristan Thompson's also banged up now. He's probably your starting big man or your first big off the bench. So they just don't have a lot of depth. It's going to be heavily reliant on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown early. Marcus Smart as well. But when they have so many young players on their bench who just are totally unproven, Grant Williams and Carson Edwards and Peyton Pritchard there, it just you can name five or six guys who haven't gotten much run from Brad Stevens yet. 
I don't trust those young players at all at this point. I'm not going to put the six, the Celtics much higher because I just don't think they have enough depth to get through the season unscathed. Any major injury that they suffer now, and they already have had a couple, they're screwed. They just don't have enough uh, to win many games in the East. Number six to me is Toronto. They also drop significantly from where they were last year. And it's not because I didn't like their offseason. I did. I did like the addition of Aaron Baines, and I did like the addition of Alex Len, DeAndre Bembry. I just think that losing Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol is huge. It's not easy to recover from that. They've lost a lot over the last couple of seasons um, with obviously Kawhi Leonard first, and now you lose these guys this year. Danny Green also has gone from the championship team. Not a lot of depth with this team either, but Nick Nurse will figure it out. I just don't think that they'll be able to keep up necessarily with the other top teams. If they get another leap from Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry continues to be Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet continues to progress as a 20-point-a-game guy or so, then maybe they could move up these standings, and I trust organizationally that they can figure it out. But I'm just not sure that they have enough um, from top to bottom on this roster to win quite the same number of games as the other top teams. Dangerous in the playoffs, though. They could definitely be a threat in the playoffs. Number seven, it would be Indiana. I like Indiana. I think they might have the best starting five, or the, the, the most depth in their starting five in the East. Um, when you throw out a group of Malcolm Brogdon and Oladipo and Sabonis and Miles Turner and TJ Warren, every one of those guys is a threat to go for 25 points every game. And they could have two or three guys who are fringe all-stars on this roster, but I don't think they have anybody that qualifies as a superstar. And if you look at the rest of the conference, everybody else does. I mean, if you start from the top, Giannis is a superstar. Durant and Irving are superstars. Jimmy Butler is a superstar. Embiid and Simmons, Jason Tatum... Uh, Siakam and Lowry, the Pacers just don't have that level of star. And so I think that holds them down a little bit because they don't have, although they do have a lot of people that could go for 25, they don't have anyone that's going to give you a guaranteed 25. And until they get that player, I'm not sure how many playoff series they could actually win and how many regular season games they will actually win. Number eight for me is Washington, and they are dangerous as an eight seed. When you have Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook, you're always going to be dangerous. And you're going to have a lot of firepower on offense uh, that other teams just can't match up with. These guys are going to give you close to 60 points every game, regardless of who you're playing. 50 or 60 points every night. And they're they're an explosive backcourt. They may be the best backcourt in the Eastern Conference, as I said before. Uh, they are really, really special. Two guys who are uniquely talented. Beal as a shooter. Russ with his relentless energy and competitiveness and ability to get to the basket. And when you surround these stars with young guys, like a, a Troy Brown and a Bertans and a Thomas Bryant, guys who have young legs, who will play hard every single night, they're dangerous. And Rui Hachimura might be uh, the third best player on this team, a guy who could break out, be close to 20 points every game, was great as a rookie last year. I like Washington. I think people are underrating just how good this backcourt is going to be. And I get it. They'll have issues defensively. They were awful last year, number 30 in the league. They'll probably be towards the bottom again. But this offense can score with anyone. And they've got veteran leadership. And they've got guys that will play really, really hard every single night. Uh, I'll give it to Washington to get that last playoff spot. I think it'll be a tough competition with them. With uh, the Hawks and Magic, the two teams I'm going to get to next. But... I'll give it to the Wizards. I just trust their veteran leadership a little bit more than the other teams. And so speaking of the Hawks, I have them as my ninth seed, the first team out. 
Uh, they did a really nice job upgrading this roster this offseason, starting with Gallinari and Rondo and Bogdanovich. This was this was a really real overhaul of this team, and they did a really great job doing it. Um, I just don't think, though, that they'll have quite enough. Offensively, they're going to really be able to score, similar to Washington, but defensively, they're, they will massively struggle. There's just not a lot of versatility and defensive skill here. It's just, they just don't have it. Um, a lot of a lot of defense is effort, but it's also just how talented you are at making sure you can stop the guy in front of you. And the Hawks just don't have many players like that, especially of the guys they signed. Um, unless they see massive leaps from their young players, specifically uh, Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter, I don't think this team is going anywhere with its defense. And uh, if Clint Capella can be a somewhat decent anchor, that will help also. But there's just not a lot of talent here with that. Um, I'll pick them to get the ninth spot. I think they'll be in a tough competition with the eighth-seeded Wizards in that play-in tournament, and we'll see who is able to uh, take that. Number 10 would be the Magic, the final spot. Uh, they don't have a lot offensively, and the loss of Jonathan Isaac was massive. I thought uh, he was going to be a breakout star for them this year. He's not going to be playing now. Uh, so they're going to basically rely on the same team they've had the last few years with Evan Fournier and Vucevic and Aaron Gordon, uh, Markel Fultz should get an expanded role. They're a low ceiling team just because they don't have much to, to do in terms of scoring, but their defense is pretty good, and I really like Steve Clifford as the head coach. So they're not going to be terrible. I just don't think they can win that many games just because they're not going to score very much. Uh, that might be the lowest scoring team in the league this year per game if you look at the numbers. So we'll see. I just don't love the Magic, and I think they'll get the 10 spot, and they'll just barely stave off Charlotte um, with LaMelo and Gordon Hayward as the two guys they, they upgraded with. Sure, they'll be more exciting. Sure, they'll be entertaining. But will they actually win many games? I don't think so. Uh, this team is too guard-oriented for me. There's not enough in terms of its forwards outside of P.J. Washington, and Miles Bridges hasn't really taken a leap in his first two years. I not sure we'll see it in year three either. Um, this team is just a low ceiling team, a team that's not going to be able to compete with many of the other playoff teams in the Eastern Conference. Uh, there's just too much youth here and not enough playoff experience. So they'll get the 11th spot. They'll win some games, but they're not going to be very competitive. And uh, that'll be the top teams in the East. All right, on to the West. I've got Denver as the number one seed. This one's easy for me. They're going to win a ton of games this year just because they're so young and because the other Top contenders are going to rest their guys more than the Nuggets. The Nuggets have guys on fresher legs. They'll be able to play more minutes. And Jokic and Murray are just dynamic as a duo. Uh, actually, Michael Porter is also one of the top contenders this year for most improved player. So I also think he'll elevate into the third spot with this roster. And they will be the number one seed. I love this team. And after Western Conference final berth, they only have uh, the only place they can go is up. Number two seed would be the Lakers. Uh, they'll rest their guys a lot, but they're just too talented to not get the number two seed. Uh, LeBron and AD will be great. Montrez Harrell and Dennis Schroeder should fit right in with this team. And I think we'll see some leaps from their young players. I think Alex Caruso will be better, especially with his shooting. I think Kyle Kuzma, off a rough last of a rough season last year, will be better. And Talon Horton Tucker, as I talked about in the last episode, the star of the preseason, he was wowing people each and every game they played uh, in the Lakers' 4-0 preseason. 
He will probably play some rotation minutes, and I'd like to see what he gives. I'll think I'll, th- I'll take the Lakers as the two seed. I don't know um, how many games each of their stars will play, but they'll win most of those games that they do. And even when they don't, they're much better equipped than in past years to win without their stars. The third seed would be the Clippers. Um, pretty much the same team that they brought back outside of the fact that they changed uh, with Serge Ibaka in terms of having an extra big man. They swapped out Trez for him, basically. Uh, outside of that, pretty much the same team. The only other addition of note that I think might help them would be Luke Kennard. I really like Kennard on the wing. He basically will play Landry Shamit's role, but probably do a little bit more than Shamit did, just as, as, from a shooting and playmaking perspective. I'm a Kennard fan. I think he was a good college player at Duke, and I think he did pretty well in a bad situation in Detroit. So we'll see if he helps them. He's definitely going to provide some spacing. And uh, that only helps when you want Kawhi and Paul George to have open driving lanes to get to the basket. Fourth would be the Mavs for me. Uh, This team has such a high ceiling, and I think this is the first year that they really start to elevate themselves into the elite tier in the West. Luka is my MVP pick. I'll just throw it out there right now. I'll get to that later, but he's my MVP pick. Uh, Porzingis is great when healthy. We'll see if he actually gets back anytime soon. And then the upgrades they made in the offseason, I was a I was a big fan of Josh Richardson. I think it was very, very great of them to add him. Uh, I like the fact that they bring their big man back from last year and Dwight Powell, who was hurt. I like Maxi Kleba quite a bit. Jalen Brunson's back from injury. They have a lot here to work with, and it all obviously starts with Luka, but they are in great position to vault themselves up the Western Conference standings and to get into the top four. Number five is Phoenix for me. Uh, the Suns have maybe the NBA's best trio of players now. It's funny because I was talking about before how it's mostly duos. The Suns were the one team that already had a great duo and upgraded to now have a great trio with Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton. All three of these guys are terrific, especially Booker. He is dynamic as a 24-year-old shooting guard. He might average close to 30 points this season, was at 27 last year, but now the difference is he'll put up big numbers and they'll win rather than lose most of the time. They come coming off an 8-0 bubble, and they, had ne- they hadn't played better all year than they did in Orlando. Uh, the only place for them to go now is up. With Chris Paul there, he'll teach those young players how to win, and they will make the playoffs for the first time in a decade. Uh, sixth seed, Portland. Loved what Portland did in the offseason. Their biggest hole last year was their front court defense. And they significantly upgraded there with the additions of Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. Both guys will be able to handle some of the uh, bigger forwards that the Western Conference will throw at them, most notably LeBron, Kawhi, and Anthony Davis. They had no answer for the Lakers last year in the playoffs in terms of James and Davis. They just had nobody to to stop them. At least this year, they have some able bodies that can maybe slow them down a little bit, and that helps them. And also, offensively, they're going to be in the top five in this league. Damian Lillard is amazing. CJ McCollum is amazing. And you provide those guys with shooting and some playmaking from some additional guys, most notably Gary Trent for me. I think he'll take a leap this year. Uh, I think the Trailblazers will be an elite offense, a much improved defense, and the sixth seed. Seven is Utah. Uh, Actually, big news out of Utah this morning. I didn't get to it, but I'll talk about it quickly now. Rudy Gobert, five years, $205 million on a new extension. Uh, I was surprised they did this. I didn't think it was going to happen. I figured they'd let him go to free agency and see what other teams would be willing to offer. 
but I guess they want to keep him as the co-centerpiece with the Jazz, along with Donovan Mitchell, for a while. And uh, he'll be an elite defender. It's just, I think, his... I just think his ceiling is a little bit limited, uh, just because he doesn't give you much on offense. And uh, I wasn't a big fan of the contract, but look, if they wanted to pay Gobert and they didn't think they have a better option, then that's what they had to do, and so now he'll be there long-term. I don't think this team is too much of a threat in the Western Conference. If if anything, they bring back one unique part of this team that most of the other teams in the West don't have, which is continuity. It's basically the same team it was last year. The only thing they really changed was to bring in Derek Favors, who had already been there in many previous seasons. So it's basically the same team that they've had. Uh, Jordan Clarkson's back on a big extension as well. So I think the Jazz will win games just because they're, they already have that built-in chemistry that other teams don't. But I don't think they can provide quite enough in terms of offense. And the defense did drop a little bit last year. Uh, this is a veteran team and uh, not one that, to me, is in the championship hunt. They're just a little bit beneath the top tier in the West. Eight is Houston. Uh, this is a controversial one. Who knows where James Harden will be? If he's there, they're higher than this. If he's not there, this they might still be a playoff team. Uh, Christian Wood, to me, will be one of the uh, more interesting players to watch around the league. I want to see what he does in a Rockets uniform to finally get a, a real chance at major starter minutes. Uh, I liked what they did to acquire John Wall. Uh, they couldn't keep Westbrook. It was just an untenable situation. And at least Wall will give them some juice on the offensive end. And we'll see if he returns to the previous form. DeMarcus Cousins was a nice signing. So they did some nice things in the offseason. I don't think they have enough to be a top playoff team, especially if they don't have Harden. But if they do keep him around, they could vault themselves into the top four or five. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if they were the fourth or fifth seed. Uh, nine would be New Orleans. Uh, they were very close last year. Um, after a terrible start to the season, started to see their young players develop more, and we'll see that more this season. I do think they have two of the top five or six young players in the game. I love Brandon Ingram. I, I absolutely love him. And what Zion was able to do in just about 20 games last year was just stunning. I mean, 22 points a game and basically just walked into the league and average 22. It's wild. He may be a 25-point-a-game guy this year. Uh, so I like what they have there. I also want to see a, a leap from Lonzo Ball. If he can continue to develop for them, that's a huge boost. It'll be really tough for other teams to score with Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball in your backcourt. Uh, that, that is a great defensive duo with those two guards. And then Steven Adams is there. It gives them some toughness in the front court. I like that move. J.J. Redick can give them some shooting off the bench. This is a talented team. I just don't know if they can win big games yet because they are so damn young. And then finally, number 10 is Golden State. Now, I guess all offseason when I was thinking about the Warriors, I, I kind of just penciled them in for the playoffs. And now that I'm thinking about it, especially without Clay. I'm not sure they're going to be there. I just think they don't have enough, especially defensively. Steph's a liability defensively. Uh, Kelly Oubre can be a liability defensively. Andrew Wiggins is a liability defensively. And we have no idea what we're going to get from either of James Wiseman or, or Draymond Green. Draymond already was ruled out uh, for the opener because he had COVID recently. And if he does play you know, most of the games, he didn't last year, he was hurt most of the time. But even if he does play a lot, can he give you what he previously did, which is double-digit scoring, elite defense, six or seven assists every game? 
I'm not sure he's that guy anymore. He may just be an overpaid, overpriced role player uh, and a guy who's won championships and is a future Hall of Famer, but is just out of his prime. I'm not sure what we're going to get from Draymond. If any, if nothing else, he'll give you veteran leadership and smart play, but I don't think the numbers will uh, show you that he is a very good NBA player at this point anymore. Maybe, maybe, maybe he does improve. Maybe he gets his shooting form back. We'll see. But I'm not too uh, certain that that will happen. And James Wiseman is a really highly touted rookie, but one that I think is super raw and may have significant holes early in his career with his offensive game. Uh, and defensively, he may just have to learn how to play at this level. It's hard when you haven't played really since high school. So I am a little bit skeptical on the Warriors. I don't know what they're going to be this year. Um, but I'll, I'll pencil them in at 10 just because I respect what they've done in previous seasons with three championships. And then finally, the Grizzlies, they'll be my 11th seed. They'll just miss out. I love John Morant. I love Jaron Jackson. Uh, but I think they probably did a little bit better than their talent would suggest last year. Maybe they can do that again, and maybe those young players will continue to get a lot better. But I just think that in a really tough Western Conference, they're a, a, just a tick below what it takes to be in the top 10. We'll see. Maybe they'll be higher, but uh, I have them as 11 for now. All right, we'll take a quick break, uh, and then we'll be right back to do some awards predictions because I love talking about the NBA and the awards, so I'll do that when we return. This episode of Schwartz on Sports is brought to you by Invader Coffee. Invader Coffee is an ultra-premium, veteran-owned coffee company, proudly delivering only the best coffee your hard-earned money can buy. They aim to serve only the highest quality organic air-roasted coffee beans sourced from free trade farms all over the world. They keep things simple, the best coffee at an affordable price in order to provide you with the value you deserve for your morning boost. 100% fair trade, 100% organic coffee beans, 100% air-roasted, 100% money-back guarantee. Visit invadercoffee.com and enter promo code BELLYUP at checkout to receive 15% off your order. All right, everyone, welcome back to Schwartz on Sports, presented by the Belly Up Podcast Network. I just did a long segment on my predictions for the NBA standings for this season. Uh, I'm a huge NBA fan. It's my favorite sport, and I'm excited to see the season uh, that is now back. We'll start Tuesday. Two big games on TNT to open the season. First, it's the Nets and Warriors, so a Kevin Durant uh, revenge game, so to speak. And then Lakers Clippers is the nightcap, ring night and banner night in Staples Center for the Lakers. And that's opening night on Tuesday, and then we get the season kicked off with more games on Wednesday and Thursday as every other team uh, makes their first appearance. So I'm going to do some awards predictions quickly uh, before the end of the show today. So let's start with the big award, the MVP. Uh, I said it before in the previous segment, it has to be Luka Doncic. I think most people think he's the favorite, and I would agree with that. Uh, what he did last year as an NBA sophomore was historic. 29 points a game, uh, phenomenal passer, great rebounder, and I only think he can get better from here. And this team was a seven seed last year, so when you're that low in the standings, it's hard to really have a shot at um, at the MVP. But this year, I have them picked fourth. I think that's right in the range where they'll be in terms of the standings. And when you're that high, you have a real shot to uh, to win the MVP. Luka might average 30. He might average double-digit assists. Uh, he is the type of guy that could be the second coming of Russell Westbrook just in terms of averaging a triple-double. 
Uh, we saw Russ do it three straight times. I think Luca could possibly do it this year, if not very soon in the near future. He has really no holes in his offensive game. And defensively, sure, he needs to improve. But when you're that great on the other, on the other end of the floor, uh, I think people are going to give you some leeway and some credit for what you do uh, every single night for that team. He, he led the best offense in league history last year, uh, efficiency-wise. And uh, I assume he'll be right, they'll be right at the top of that list again this season. If I had to pick a runner-up, I'd pick Dame Lillard. I have the Blazers just a little bit lower in the standings at number six. Probably hard to win MVP as the sixth seed. But after what Dame did last year, I'm not going to count him out. Uh, was incredible all regular season long and then was really the the standout performer of the um, seeding bubble games, the, the first eight games that everybody played. He was really transcendent in those moments. And uh, his ability to, to make big shots and to... Uh, run that offense is truly special. I love Dame, and I think he'll be the runner-up. All right, Defensive Player of the Year. This is a tough one for me. Uh, I thought Anthony Davis deserved it last year. I was kind of upset he didn't win it. I thought he was definitely more deserving than Giannis uh, for what he did for the Lakers, but he didn't win. And I would have picked him this year, but he's not going to play enough minutes. He's not going to play enough games either. So my second choice would be the other guy uh, who played in the finals last year, and that's Bam Adebayo. Uh, Bam is... He's elite defensively. There's no other way to put this. He can guard all five positions. He can defend the rim. He can guard on the perimeter. He can switch on to point guards. He can really do every single every single thing that you need a big man to do uh, in, in an NBA defense in the modern game. He does it. And uh, I just think in his fourth year out of Kentucky, he's learned enough. He's become enough of a big name. And there's no reason why he's not going to win this award at least once, if not multiple times. I think this is his, his season and he's primed to do it. He plays in a great system. That's conducive to what he is uh, special at, and he will, I think, win the award. My runner-up would be Ben Simmons. Uh, ben, similar to, to Bam, is a five-position position defender. He's six foot ten. He can guard every single spot on the court, uh, down low, up top. It doesn't matter. And uh, what he did last year for the Sixers defensively was uh, also special, and I think he'll continue that. Uh, rookie of the year. I know this is a, this is an award that everybody likes to pick. Uh, I don't think there's. Uh, too many great contenders for it this year. I just don't think there's that many guys that will get enough opportunities to be in the mix. But the guy I'll pick to win it is LaMelo Ball. I think he's the clear-cut favorite here. Um, I would pick him just because I think he's one of the only rookies that will get enough opportunities to play enough minutes and to put up enough uh, in terms of his stat line to be, consider, uh, to be considered worthy of this award. He'll probably average somewhere like 15, 16 points a game. Six seven assists, six seven rebounds. Um, I, I don't think any other rookie will really match that. And I know he'll be inefficient. He probably will shoot less than forty percent from the field. He's not going to make a lot of threes. And that's early on. That's what a lot of rookies go through. I think Lamelo will will definitely see that. Uh, but what he does as a passer, especially, is honestly it's breathtaking. Like I've watched some of him in his preseason moments, and some of the passes that he can throw. There are very few guys, maybe 10 other guys in the league that are as skilled of a passer as he is. And so he'll have an elite skill to rely on from day one. And I think that's why I have him uh, here in uh, as the Rookie of the Year favorite. My runner-up would be Killian Hayes. Again, just because he's going to get a lot of opportunities in Detroit. Uh, that's a bad team. He'll be the starting point guard most likely. And so he has a shot to put up big numbers. I don't think any of the other top rookies whether it be Anthony Edwards or Wiseman or Patrick Williams, whoever you want to throw out there, I just don't think those guys will get quite enough opportunities to uh, to win the award. All right, sixth man of the year. Uh, this is another one of my favorite 
awards to predict. This one was actually one of the hardest ones I, I picked this year. Um, I really didn't think there was a clear-cut favorite. Usually there is. This year there wasn't. I think Lou Williams has kind of worn out his welcome uh, in terms of winning this award. Eric Gordon was a an annual contender, but he's sort of past his prime. And the two guys who were at the top last year were Montrez Harrell and Dennis Schroeder, and those guys are now teammates. Now, maybe one of them does vault themselves to the top of the list and wins the award, but I think they might cancel each other out just because they'll both put up big numbers uh, for the Lakers. So I'm going to go with somebody that maybe nobody, uh, that mo- I think most people aren't really expecting. I'm going to say Danilo Gallinari. He's in Atlanta. He's going to be a backup behind John Collins. And although he won't start games, he'll probably close them as a veteran. Uh, probably play the small ball four position with Collins moving up to the five for Capella. And he'll probably average close to 20 a game. And that's just what he does on an annual basis at this point. He's a great shooter. He's a terrific player on offense, and, and this award is t- sort of turned into the guy that comes off the bench, doesn't play any defense, but at the same time just comes in and gets buckets, and that's Danilo Gallinari in a nutshell. So I'll pick him to win it. And then my runner-up would be Jordan Clarkson in Utah. His second year there, had a very nice season last year, high-volume scorer, comes off the bench and changes the tempo of the game for Utah. I think he's the second-best contender, although there is no slam dunk um, in this year's group of six men. My most improved player, my favorite award to pick every year. Now, this award is a tough one, I think, for a lot of people to exactly describe what it is. It's sort of like the MVP. Some people think, is should it be for the best player or is it the most valuable player? Like, how do you really determine that? For me, I like to pick the guys for most improved player that have shown flashes but haven't really turned into stars yet. Like, for example, last year, I thought Brandon Ingram was a worthy winner because he had sort of been an underwhelming player, had shown flashes, but hadn't really put it together yet, and then last year it all exploded. Whereas I think some people like to vote for the already established star that just take a leap into superstardom, like Luka Doncic last year, was great as a rookie, and then exploded last year to be even better. But I don't think those guys are really worthy of winning. I like the guys who kind of come out of nowhere and then become stars. So I'm going to pick Marvin Bagley. Uh, Bagley's been injury-riddled his first two seasons in Sacramento, but he's shown a lot of flashes of being a very talented young player and a guy who can be a cornerstone piece there. I know the Kings get um, they get a lot of criticism for taking him over Luka. I mean, he was the, Luka was the next pick. Trey Young was a couple picks later. But if you look at what he's done, you know, in the terms of per 36 minutes, he's been great. And when he's been out there, he's been pretty productive. 14 points or so each of his first two seasons. And he's a great rebounder. He's a very strong player underneath the basket. He needs to improve his shooting. And in the preseason, he's shown flashes of that. So... I'm going to pick Bagley. I think he'll be close to 20 points a game. I looked on basketball reference, and they actually have him pegged for around 21 a game, and I think that's a pretty good number there. And he'll still be an elite rebounder, and he can just improve his defense. He should be right at the top of the mix for this award. My runner-up would be Christian Wood. I alluded to him earlier in the show uh, in terms of what he's going to do in Houston. He had a great end of the season last year and actually got a first-place vote for this award a year ago. Uh, But I think this is the year where he shows more than just a couple of weeks at a time flashes. I think this is the t- this is the year where he, from start to finish, is an impact player for the Rockets, probably doing it as their starting center or their power forward. And uh, I think he'll be the runner-up for this award. Great contender for it. Uh, probably close to 20 points a game when it's all said and done. And then finally, my coach of the year, I'm going to pick Mike Malone, Michael Malone from the Nuggets. Uh, I love Michael Malone as a leader and as a, st- a, a tactician. Um... 
maybe not the loudest guy out there. I don't think he gets a lot of buzz compared to some of the other top coaches. But what he has done to turn this Denver franchise around has been really remarkable. He was sort of the guy who who found Jamal Murray as this star player. I mean, he was kind of uh, underwhelming at first, and then he's really turned him into a great, great young point guard. Uh, Jokic, sort of the same thing. Second rounder, nobody knew who he was. Explodes to be a superstar, top 10-ish player in the league. And they have a lot of other development projects that have worked out for them. Monte Morris, uh, Michael Porter Jr. last year, Will Barton. Uh, Bill Bull Bull is going to play a big role for them this year. They've done a great job of finding young talent and developing it. And that's why they were in last year's conference finals. And I think they're going to be the one seed this year in the West. Uh, second on my list would be Monty Williams. Uh, he's going to do a great job uh, with Devin Booker and Aiton and Chris Paul. There's no reason why they can't be a top four seed in the West. They've got all the talent and uh, they're only developing, getting older. And Chris Paul will teach that team how to win. Monty Williams is the ultimate uh, I guess you could say calming presence in that locker room. I think he's so well-respected around the league, and everybody seems to think he's great at what he does. And as a developer, um, I trust him. I just trust what he's going to be able to do for this team and get them into the playoffs. So I'll have him as my second contender. Uh, he's a great coach, and, and I, I like what he's done so far uh, in his first year, and I think he'll only get better in, in year two. All right, we'll take another quick break. Those are my awards predictions. Uh, Luca is MVP. Bam is Defensive Player of the Year. LaMelo Ball as the Rookie of the Year. Uh, Sixth Man of the Year goes to Danilo Gallinari. Marvin Bagley from the Sacramento Kings is the most improved player for me. And my Coach of the Year is Michael Malone from the Nuggets. So those are my awards for 2021. We'll be right back and we will do a quick finals prediction to wrap up today's show. This episode of Schwartz on Sports is brought to you by Hoff and Pepper Hot Sauce. Handcrafted with farm-fresh jalapenos and habaneros, Hoff's original hot sauce has gone on to win numerous awards and gain international recognition. Hoff and Pepper always strives to create sauces and seasonings that enhance flavors with balanced heat profiles. Every one of their handmade products is manufactured in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and is naturally vegan and gluten-free. Shop today at hoffandpepper.com, and when you enter promo code BELLYUP at checkout, you'll save 10% off your purchase. Welcome back to Schwartz on Sports here on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Uh, just want to say thanks to everyone who's been listening to the first nine episodes of the show. This is number 10. It's been great to do this, and I just have really enjoyed uh, going through it so far with the first few episodes. I uh, hope everyone continues to listen, and make sure you guys follow me on social media. It's uh, Schwartz, O-S underscore B-U on both Insta and Twitter, so follow me there, and uh, stay tuned to everything that's going on here for our show. Uh, let's wrap up the show today with my quick NBA Finals pick. I did my standings predictions earlier. I did my awards predictions uh, just a few minutes ago. And now I'll wrap it up with my finals pick. Now, obviously it's very early. And as I said before, James Harden is really a huge question mark here. We have no idea where he'll end up. It could change the whole championship picture depending on where he does go. Uh, but I'm just going to, for now, just pretend that he's staying in Houston, and uh, that's what he'll be, so there, he's not really involved in my pick right now. Uh, so my pick is going to be the Lakers, back-to-back uh, -back Western Conference champions to go to go uh, into the finals again, and this time they will face the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a little higher than I think most people are on the Nets. I think most people think that despite having Kyrie and KD, uh, they just don't have enough around them, especially with... Uh, their defense. 
Uh, I think most people think that they're pretty weak on that end of the floor, and I tend to agree. But when you have two transcendent talents like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, uh, it's going to be hard to not win a lot of games. And with the ability of those guys to shoot the basketball, and we've seen this in the Eastern Conference recently, if you don't have the the proper uh, ability to shoot on your team, hard to win. The Bucks have gotten stopped each of the last two years because Giannis and Denikumbo couldn't make a three. I mean, it's just that's really the reality of it. And the same thing for the Sixers. They don't have enough spacing. Uh, they don't have guys that can make three-pointers. Hard to win. So the Nets, if nothing else, are an elite three-point shooting team. And that starts with Kyrie and then KD and Joe Harris. and They're all great. Uh, offensively, they're going to be really t- difficult to shut down. And they can uh, do play pick and roll repeatedly with Allen and Jordan. And then they can just put them with those perimeter guys and just make things happen. I think they're going to make the finals. I think they'll get through a pretty tough Eastern Conference this year. A lot of quality teams there, but I think they'll get there. And then I think the Lakers will also get back. Uh, they're the heavy favorite, I think, to most people uh, in the Western Conference. They definitely separated themselves from the from the pack this offseason, adding in Schroeder and adding in Tres, uh, Montrezl Harrell. This was a team that was heavily reliant on LeBron and AD last year, and that'll still be the case, but uh, probably less so. They have other guys who can... Uh, sort of shoulder some of the scoring load. And so I'll take the Lakers to go back to the finals to play the Nets, and I will take the LA Lakers to repeat in six games with LeBron James winning his fifth finals MVP. Uh, So that's five finals MVPs and five rings for LeBron. I don't want to get into a whole GOAT debate here. I already think LeBron's the greatest. I think most people that listen to the show know that. But it would be pretty hard to deny LeBron in what would his be his 11th NBA Finals appearance, his fifth win, his fifth Finals MVP, and it would be 10 Finals appearances in 11 seasons for LeBron James. So one of the more historic runs in league history, if he can get back to the Finals, this team is loaded. It's one of the best teams I think LeBron has ever played on, and they will be a really tough contender in the Western Conference, and I think they will beat the Nets uh, it would be the fourth time LeBron and, and KD had met up in the finals. It happened uh, three times in Golden State. Or, sorry, two, ta- two times in Golden State. And then another time when he was with the Thunder and LeBron was in Miami. And this would be uh, the number the number four matchup there. And then it would be the first time that LeBron had met up with his former teammate in Kyrie Irving, who they obviously played together uh, for those three seasons and three finals appearances with the Cavs. So, it would be a really fun matchup. I think a lot of people are hoping that they can actually see it happen in person. Um, hopefully there's fans there by that time. And uh, I think the Lakers will win the championship. It would be championship number 18 for the Lakers. Hard to believe that they've won that many, but that would be number 18. All right, so that's the show for today. Hope everybody enjoyed. A bit of a longer episode, but that's what it takes when you're talking about the NBA and everybody knows how much I love the the, uh, the NBA. So uh, make sure you follow me on social media, as I said. Uh, hopefully everyone has a good weekend. Enjoy the football games. Uh, enjoy Christmas if you're celebrating. Um, it's the holidays, so I hope, uh, hope everybody uh, you know has fun with that and, and enjoys the time with their family. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys soon.